0: At the Canaan Church, our mission is bringing people to Christ and helping every person to become a mature disciple in Christ. Canaan Christian Church, where people dare to dream. If if you will turn with me to the Old Testament book, to the book of (coughs) Zechariah. Zechariah. Last Wednesday we looked at chapter 10 and chapter 11 because those two chapters we needed to study them uh, together because of what uh, is being presented into us must be understood jointly with those two chapters together. Today we're going to look at chapter 12 and chapter 13 together because as we needed to look at chapter 10 and 11 together to get to to understand the revelation, we need to look at chapter 12 and 13 together to understand the revelation as well. And so I'm not going to read all of those verses, amen, but let me just read some selected verses. uh, Zechariah chapter 12 beginning with verse 1. The burden of the word of the Lord against Israel. Thus says the Lord who stretches out the heavens, lays the foundation of the earth and forms the spirit of man within him. Behold, I will make Jerusalem a cup of drunkenness to all the surrounding peoples when they lay siege against Judah and Jerusalem. And then if you look at verse 10 in chapter 12, and I will pour on the house of David and on the inhabitants of Jerusalem the spirit of grace and supplication. Then they will look on me whom they pierced. Yes, they will mourn for him as one mourns for his only son and grieve for him as one grieves for a firstborn. Chapter 13, verse 1, In that day a fountain shall be opened for the house of David and for the inhabitants of Jerusalem for sin and for cleanness and for uncleanness. Uh, Let's look at verse 9. I will bring the one-third through the fire. We will refine them as silver is refined and test them as gold is tested. They will call on my name and I will answer them. I will say this is my people and each one will say the Lord is my God, Amen. amen. Now, how wonderfully and how marvelously we are blessed as we continue to make our way through uh, this Old Testament book of Zechariah, a minor prophet with a major message. And I have said to us through our study that there's a twofold revelation given to us on two levels. On one level, it speaks about the remnant of people who had been blessed to leave Uh, the land of the Chaldeans when Darius was the king of Persia and to return back to the holy city of Jerusalem so that they could be able to rebuild the city and rebuild the temple. But on a much higher level, when you study the book of Zechariah, it is giving us a vision, a revelation of how God is moving in the earth rim to establish his kingdom in the world. When you read and study the book of Zechariah, it calls upon us to look at the move of God in terms of what God has done in the past, what God is doing in the present, and what God is going to do in the future. So in a very real sense, when we study the Bible, when we study the biblical revelation, there's a sense in which we come to understand what is called in theological terms progressive revelation, that God is progressively revealing himself to mankind, helping us to understand who he is, who we are in him, and what he purposes for our lives. We can rejoice today knowing that our God is a God of power. He's a God of purpose, and he's a God of providence. Let me say that again, that our God is a God of power. He's a God of purpose, and he's a God of providence. And so when we look at the book of Zechariah, then we understand at a very high level that it is God who has taken the initiative for us to be saved. It is God who has made it possible that you and I can be Christians, that we can be a part of the church of the living God, we can be a part of the kingdom of God and that we are seeing God move in the world and he's still moving for our good and for his glory. And as I think about this, and I think about what God has done and what he's doing, uh, there is a passage in the book of Hebrews chapter two and I'm going to actually make a quotation of this scripture again on Sunday as I deliver the word of God on Sunday. In Hebrews chapter two, we are given this admonishment. Therefore, we must give the more earnest heed to the things we have heard, lest we drift away. For if the word spoken through angels proved steadfast and every transgression and disobedience received a just reward, how shall we escape if we neglect so great a salvation? The salvation that you and I ex- enjoy is a great salvation. It is not something to be toyed with. It is not something to be taken lightly. If you and I can say this morning that we are Christians, if we can say that we are saved, if we can say that we are children of God, if we can say we are redeemed, that we are part of the household of faith, and that we can say it without any reservation, without any uh, intrepidation, without any reservation, if we can say it with conviction and with clarity and with consciousness then we ought to just give God some praise because our salvation is a great salvation it is a salvation that God has initiated and it is a salvation that God has expressed as father as son and as Holy Spirit. And the writer says to us, Joan, that we ought to take heed to the word that we have heard, lest we drift away. Because if the word that others heard spoken by angels, that they were held accountable, how much more Would we be held accountable if we take lightly so great a salvation? So I'm saying to us, beloved, we ought to thank God for Bible study. We ought to thank God that you're at a church where the word is being taught with truthfulness. And the word is being proclaimed with clarity every week on Wednesday and on Sunday. There is bread in this house. Amen. That we take serious the study of the Word of God. We, we, we take it serious. And, and so one of the things I want to say to you also at the outset of this study. Is that this is why it's important for us to understand how to study the Bible. This is why it is so important and Joan I got your message about the teacher summit and certainly we're going to have one without question because we must continue to help the people who teach in the Christian education ministry of our church to understand how to teach the Bible correctly, because we must help the people of God to understand how to approach uh, the Word of God. I have before me by my Bible, the 66 books of the, that are in the canon, and you have so many that are part of the Old Testament and then those that are part of the New Testament records. Now every now and then you're here, you will hear somebody in church who uh, does not have a proper understanding of the Bible, they'll say something that is biblically ignorant, like they will say, I am a New Testament Christian, and the Old Testament does not speak to me. And they'll say that the Old Testament doesn't have any spiritual relevance for their life because they believe that it is talking about something that happened at a time in history that has no spiritual value for their lives. But the devil is a lie. Brothers and sisters, you cannot have the New Testament without the Old Testament. And you cannot have the Old Testament without the New Testament. Because you see, what is taking place is that the New Testament is giving confirmation to the fulfillment of the prophetic word and what was spoken in the Old Testament of what God said he was doing and what he is going to do, the New Testament reveals the fulfillment of what God spoke in days past and gone. On the other hand, the Old Testament is imperative for the New Testament because the Old Testament is giving us the foundation, the background, and the context of what we are studying in the New Testament records. And so if you just take the book of Zechariah, how many times, how many times the book of Zechariah is being quoted in the Gospels of Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John because what Zechariah was talking about in his particular day and time came into fruition in the New Testament in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, and even in the book of Acts. So don't you ever listen to anybody who says to you that uh, I'm just the New Testament Christian and the Old Testament has nothing to say to me, brothers and sisters God has something to say to you from Genesis to revelation and and so when you look at at this at this text today chapter twelve and and chapter Uh, 13 in Zechariah we combine them because it is talking to us again about the movement of the kingdom of God and what God has done for us in the person of Jesus Christ. Now there are four movements between these two chapters in chapter 12 verses 1 through 9 uh, the the revelation we receive and has to do with the enemies of Jerusalem being defeated as God is working on the restoration of his covenant relationship with Israel. Uh, And then when you get to to verse 10, verse 10 through verse 14 in chapter 12, the second movement has to do with a repentance that takes place as people mourn for having pierced The Messiah or purest God. Then in chapter 13, verses 1 through uh, verse 6 has to do with a cleansing. A cleansing, and then verses seven through nine has to do with a continual reformation that God is taking place in people's lives. In chapter thirteen, verses one through six will speak to us about a fountain, but verses seven through nine speaks to us about a furnace. I not only need a fountain, but I also need a furnace. Now, those four movements together give us reason to give God uh, an undignified praise because it helps us to understand what God has done for us in Christ. Chapter 12 opens with an oracle. The burden of the word of the Lord against Israel. That means an oracle, a word spoken by God. And I told us a few weeks ago that when you talk about the word of the Lord, that the word of the Lord is another title for God because you can't separate God from his word. So chapter 12, the oracle begins with a word concerning war. Everyone shout War. Yeah, it opens with the oracle speaking about war. But when we get to chapter 14, chapter 14 ends with verses 16 through 21. In chapter 14, the last chapter of Zechariah, verses 16 through 21, the focus is on worship the focus is on worship. So when we get to the closing movements of this prophecy in Zechariah, it begins with war, but it ends in worship. Now, this oracle begins by God saying that I'm going to defeat all of the nations. I'm going to defeat every person that has come against Jerusalem, that has come against my people. God says, "I'm going going to defeat them all. And chapter 12 and chapter 13 is talking to us about God's troubled relationship with his own people. God's troubled relationship with who? His own people. His own people people because Israel was the chosen people of God. He did not choose them because they were so large in number. He did not choose them because they were so strong. He did not choose Israel because they were so holy. It was just God's providential will to choose Israel. These are the descendants of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. God said to Abraham one day, I want you to leave the land of the Chaldeans and I'm going to make your name great and I will make you the father of a great nation and through your seed shall all families of the earth be blessed that promise was passed on then to Jacob and then from, from to, to Isaac and then from Isaac to Jacob so Abraham Isaac and Jacob will constitute the patriarchal fathers and then Jacob has twelve sons and those sons will then become become known as the nation of Israel it is at Mount Sinai that God comes into a covenant relationship with Israel and says if you would be my people then I will be your God and you shall be a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. It was not because they had something to offer God. is what God had to offer them. Hallelujah. And when you talk about being saved, when you talk about being in a relationship with God, you cannot have a relationship with God without accepting the responsibility that comes with the relationship. Let me pause and say it again slowly. You cannot be saved. Have. A relationship with God and not accept the responsibility that comes with the relationship and 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 Zechariah chapter 12 and 13 is talking about God's troubled relationship with his own people see church people have the tendency to look at people who we say don't go to church and we call them heathens, and we talk about how bad they are. The question is really, who is really bad? Are the real bad people the folk who don't go to church, or is it the people who go to church? Because maybe the real bad people are the folk who go to church. Because the the people that we want to call heathens who don't go to church and we say they're on their way to hell, at least it appears that they're being authentic about going to hell. I'm on my way to hell and I'm going first class. We come to church and say we're Christians, but are we pretending are we being plastic? Are we being pretentious? You 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 know um, we're at the place now on this side of the pandemic, where they said you know everybody can take the mask off. Now, those of you who have your mask on, this is fine. I'm just this is just illustration. This is just illustration, because the we said you know you can wear your mask if you feel like you need to. You can take it off now, because they said it's OK. I had a meet with Janice Harris yesterday, and uh, she said some people want to know, can the children now go into the Canis Children's Zone without temperature checks and so forth, because they're not doing it anywhere else. So we said, OK, starting Sunday, children will be able to go into the Canis Children's Zone without temperature check because we're at this point of the um, pandemic. No temperature checks and you don't have to wear your mask, you can take your mask down. The people who should have been most comfortable in America wearing a mask is church people. When they told us to wear a mask, we should have been real comfortable because we've been wearing one for a long time. I told the trustees, I told the trustees, they, when, when the pandemic happened, the trustees, you know, they put on gloves because they said catching this virus, you know, the COVID-19, they said, you know, that you just don't know how you're getting it. And so they said, money is dirty. So they said, we need to put gloves on because the money is dirty. So we need to protect ourselves. We're putting gloves on because the money's dirty. I raise the question of trustees, do we need to put the gloves on because the money is dirty, or do we need to put the gloves on because the hands are dirty that's counting consecrated money? I ain't mad at nobody. (laughs) Zechariah chapter 12 and 13 is talking about God's troubled relationship with his own people. Because Isaiah says that Israel was called to help other nations to come to know who Yahweh is. That was Israel's calling. They were to be a light unto the nation. Jehovah Jareh, Jehovah Shalom, Jehovah Shema, Jehovah Nisi, Jehovah Makadish, Jehovah Tiskanu. Who is this Jehovah? Israel was called to help others to know who he is. And what's the calling on my life and your life as Christian people today? Is it not to reach the nations for God? and to help others to come to know who he is. And if we're gonna help others to come to know who he is, then there has to be an authenticity, a realness. There has to be integrity about our relationship with God. So you've heard me say a million times that the Christian faith is not about rituals, it's not about rules, it's not about regulations. But it has everything to do with our relationship with God. And what God was saying to Zechariah is that as this remnant has been allowed to come back to the holy city of Jerusalem, God is saying to Zechariah, but there's something taking place at a much higher level. And that is that I am bringing about a restoration of those who belong to me and everyone who has come against Jerusalem, God says, I'm going to defeat them, I'm going to destroy them. Because you got to understand that even when God allows the enemy to have some room in your life, when God removes the hedge for a minute, to let you have some pain. He's not gonna allow the heads to be removed and for the enemy to have access to your life to destroy you. He, he removes the heads a minute by his providential will only to let the pain push you to him. Because sometimes we need to be chastened, cause pain will make you do what pleasure would not make you do. Sometimes God has to almost let us lose our mind in order to help us to keep our mind. So God says in in chapter 12, verses one through nine, He says, everyone that's coming against Jerusalem, I'm going to defeat. He uses the word drunkenness, that they're going to have to drink this cup. And when they come against Jerusalem and they drink the cup, what they think is going to make them feel good, they're going to find out the enemies of Jerusalem, that they're going to drink a cup that's really going to lead them to their defeat because God is purposeful about his people. And at the end of the day, God's last word is not a word of judgment. His last word is always a word of grace. And as God brings restoration, he's going to do it in such a way that people of different um, ethnicities, people of different social Classes, people of different life situations and circumstances are going to be brought together and made to come into a place of oneness in God. And that's what I like about God, that He can meet anybody wherever you are. And what He's trying to teach us as church people is that we ought to be comfortable and we ought to be loving, and we ought to be relatable to whoever sits beside us. Because the church is not a hotel for the righteous. The church is a hospital for the sick. Now I have to pray for patience on this one. Because I don't have a lot of patience for church people who are so quick to become self-righteous. I just don't have much patience for them. They done got saved, and now they live upstairs, and everybody else lives downstairs. They got saved, and ain't nobody right but them. They got saved, and they always talking about, well, you know, Pastor, uh, the other folk, ought ought they not do this, and ought they not do that? And I want to keep reminding them, what do you think ministry is? Ministry is us helping us and put yourself in the us. Because maybe the weakness of the other brother and sister ain't your weakness. But don't be trying to fool us as to think you ain't got a weakness. Because what bothers me may not bother you. And what bothers you may not bother me, but everybody's bothered by something. Everybody has a spiritual Achilles heel. All of us have, with our saved self, got to say, Jesus, please keep me. Because it wouldn't take a lot for me to fall into this. And pride is sinful. Yeah, pride is sinful. And, and, and so uh, ministry is about us helping one another to keep growing in Christ, you know? And so in the church of God, you know, whether you're, you're white or black, Hispanic, Asian, we ought to be able to sit in the sanctuary together and worship our God and our Christ. And whether you got a PhD or no D we ought to be able to sit beside one another and worship God and if you got a PhD you ought not be looking down your nose at somebody who didn't get out of high school and 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 if you if you live in a gated community and you drive a Bentley and somebody else lives you know in in um, a shotgun house and they ride in the bus everywhere they go, you ought not be thinking that you're better than them because of where you live and what you drive. The quality of life and the dignity of life has never been on the basis of things. Every person, every person is made in the image and likeness of God. Every person amen and let me go a little father and even if the person sitting beside you is lesbian or the person sitting beside you is a homosexual they're gay you know you ought not get, get just you know discombobulated because of that you ain't gay fine you, you're a woman, you like a man, great. You're a man, you like a woman, great. But this woman likes a woman. This man likes a man, okay? We, we ain't gonna lose our mind about that. Because are you trying to tell me that they ain't welcome to the house of God? The devil is a lie. They welcome in God's house. Now, Pastor Malone, are you going to condone the lifestyle? No, I'm not gonna condone it. But just because I don't condone it, don't mean I'm gonna be condemning them. No, diversity don't mean I have to sign off on what you do. No. Diversity means I ain't going to kill you because of what you do. <laughs> I and mean, then we laugh, but there are some crazy folk out here who would want to kill people because they got a different disposition. Yeah. No, I, I don't condone it. I'm not condoning what they want to call an a life, a, a alternative lifestyle. No, I believe Scripture. Yeah, so God is bringing people together in this restoration of a troubled relationship with the people who belong to him. And then when you get to chapter 12, verses verses 10 through 14, there's a second movement, and in the second movement, it's about mourning for the one that they have pierced. And I will pour on the house of David and on the inhabitants of Jerusalem the spirit of grace and supplication. Then they will look on me whom they pierced. Yes, they will mourn for him as one mourns for his only son and grieve for him as one grieves for a firstborn. Now the question is, who's the one who's been pierced? And the one who has been pierced is God. The one who has been pierced particularly is God who has made himself known in the person of Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ was crucified on the cross, was he not? And while hanging there on that cross at Calvary, they took a spear and pierced him in his side. And the Bible says blood and water came running out. Now the question is who pierced him? John in his gospel says that Jesus came among his own and his own received him not. So when you look at the death of Jesus on the cross, it is not only the Roman government who put him on that cross. No, it was the religious institution that put him on that cross. The Pharisees and the scribes, those who saw themselves as the religious intelligentsia of Israel are the ones who put him on that cross, his own. It is is the metaphor of like an army at war and the commanding general of the army is killed in battle but the commanding general of the army was not killed in battle by the enemy. The commanding general of the army was killed by his own. His own soldiers took him down. Jesus Christ is on a cross dying for the sins of the world. And who put him on that cross? The, write, the hymn writer said, was it for crimes that I have done? He groaned upon the tree. Amazing pity, grace unknown, and love beyond degree. At the cross, at the cross, where I first saw the light and the burden of my heart rolled away, It was there by faith I received my sight, and now I'm happy all the day. Every time you look at that cross, you ought to say to yourself, I was there when they crucified him. And I'm, I'm guilty. I'm a part of those who put him on that cross. And so there is a repentance that takes place. A repentance. But the joy is that Zachariah says that God's going to pour out on us the spirit of grace and supplication. God's going to pour out the spirit of grace. Now take that and tie it in with the revelation that God has given us right now on Sunday about the anointing. The anointing is the presence and the power of God, the seven spirits of God. And I told you Sunday that we're living in the dispensation of grace. I told you Sunday that we're living in the time where God is showing himself strong on our behalf as Holy Spirit. That God has made himself known as Father, He's made himself known as Son, and He's made himself known as what? Holy Spirit. If we are going to walk in the fullness of our salvation, we don't have an option. We must embrace God as Holy Spirit. And as far back as Zechariah, the prophetic word was that God's going to pour out His Spirit of grace. Because when you start talking about the seven spirits of God, one of the manifestations of the seven spirits of God has to do with grace, has to do with favor. Aren't you glad you got grace? Because you do know goodness ain't going to get you into heaven. It is nothing but what? Grace. He's going to pile upon us grace and supplication, prayer. It's time to... Church, to pray. Because prayer accompanies repentance. Amen. If we are repentant, we go to God in prayer. And we go to God with, with contrition and asking God to forgive us for our sins and cleanse us from our unrighteousness. We're saying to God, I'm sorry that I made it necessary for you to have to be on a cross for the salvation of my wrongdoing. But there's a third movement, and the third movement picks up in this text with with chapter 13, verses 1 through uh, verse 6. Verse 1 in chapter 13 says, In that day a fountain shall be opened for the house of David and for the inhabitants of Jerusalem for sin and for uncleanness. A fountain shall be opened. Now, chapter 12 is closing with people who are mourning. People who are what? Crying. Why are they mourning? Why are they crying? Because they're the ones who are guilty of having made it necessary for the Messiah to be crucified on a cross. They are the ones who pierced him in his side. And so there they stand. Beneath the cross, looking at a crucified Christ, looking at a Messiah, dying not for sins that he had committed, but dying for the sins of others. Paul, in his letter to the church at Corinth, says, God made him, talking about Jesus, God made him who knew no sin to become sin that we might become the righteousness of God in Christ. When Paul writes to the church of Rome, he says, God demonstrated his love for us. In that while we were yet sinners, what happened? Christ died for us. So the people who pierced him, the people who put him on the cross are standing there beneath the cross mourning and crying. But when they pierced him in the side, The Bible says blood and water came running out. So again, the hymn writer said, there is a fountain filled with blood drawn from Emmanuel's veins. And sinners plunge beneath that flood, lose all their guilty stains. The dying thief rejoiced to see that fountain in his day And there may I, though vile is he, wash all my sins away. Look at somebody saying, I'm covered by the blood. Yeah, that's shouting information. I'm covered by the blood. And the blood will never lose its power. And the reason why when the devil comes against you and wants to try to defeat you and destroy you, he looks at you and he really understands, I cannot defeat you. I cannot destroy you because there's too much blood on you. You ought to thank God for that fountain. Yeah, thank God for the fountain. And, and in verses one through uh, six, when God's cleansing, there are three situations or three issues that are being addressed. Particularly, one is idols, or we could say idolatry—the worship of the worship of false gods, um, false prophets, and unclean spirits. Those are the three areas or the three issues that are being highlighted in this. Fountain that's bringing about a cleansing. One is idolatry, other is false prophets, and then unclean spirit. Whenever there is idolatry, false worship, you can be guaranteed that there's a false prophet somewhere. That's right. Because idolatry is birthed through a lie. Somebody's got to be telling a non-truth. Idolatry produces, is produced by false prophets, and false prophets are produced by idolatry. And where there's idolatry and false prophets, that means somebody's life is filled with an unclean spirit. So you better be very careful who you run with. And you be very careful who you hang out with. Be very careful of who you let speak into your life. Because I'm going to keep telling you as long as there's breath in my body. Everybody talking about God is not speaking for God. And that's why you got to know this book called the Bible. Discernment is like American Express. don't Don't go home without it. And discernment is not something mystical. Discernment has to do with sifting, sifting, shaft from the wheat, truth from falsehood. And you can't sift if you don't know that word. And you got to know this Bible so well, and you got to be so serious about the study of it that you hide it in your heart. So that even if you don't have a physical Bible in your hand, if you left your cell phone in the car and you come across somebody with an unclean spirit who's talking some spiritual yang-yang, you ought to have enough word in you to look at them and say, what what did you just say? What, What are you talking about? What? Listen, who is Jesus to you? Don't spend 40 minutes in no debate with some foolish person who wanna to talk to you about religion and spirituality and all that stuff for 40 minutes and you can tell from Jump Street they're in left field. Don't waste your time, cut to the chase. What do you think about Jesus? And when they can't get that answer right, Bye bye. Have a coke and a smile. I'm out of here. Because you ain't getting ready to waste the rest of my time and and vex my spirit on this day. You got to know what you believe. Talk to me, somebody. You don't live in the sanctuary. I give a benediction and you go out that door, you go on with your life. I don't go home with you. My responsibility as a pastor is to cover you. I cover you by giving you word. You gotta eat it. I cover you by teaching you how to read instead of the Bible, you gotta apply it. I don't go home with you. I cover you in prayer. But while I cover you in prayer, you got to make your own choices. Tudor Bismarck said the problem with church folk is that you get all this wonderful counsel and all this word for free. So you don't listen half the time because you ain't got to pay for it. You take it for granted. And the devil will defeat you if you don't know how to stand on your own two feet my job is not to raise babies my my calling is to raise mature disciples in Christ teach Walter Malone Jr I know I am And then when you get to verse 7 through 9 I'm going to read verse 9 again because it says in my bible you ought to shout here I don't know how your Bible reads. Mine says, in verse 9, says, you ought to shout here. I will bring the one-third through the fire. We will refine them as silver is refined and test them as gold is tested. They will call on my name and I will answer them. I will say, this is my people, and each one will say, the Lord is my God. Now, the beginning, of, the beginning of chapter 13 talks about a fountain, but chapter 13 ends talking about a furnace because I just don't need a fountain. I also need a furnace. See, I need the fountain to cleanse me, but I need the furnace to make me. I, I wish I had somebody listening to me today. I need the fountain. Because I need the fountain to cleanse me to bring me into a new and a right relationship with God but after God saves me I need a furnace because after I get saved I need God to help make me so there are times when God allows me to get in the furnace to get in the fire because the furnace is going to refine the furnace is going to make the silver shine. The furnace is going to get the dross off the gold. Zechariah says, you're going to go in the fire, but the fire ain't going to destroy you. You're going to come out of the furnace calling on the name of God, and God's going to hear your cry. You're going to come out of the furnace saying, God is my God. Jesus is my savior and God's gonna reply by saying and you are my child I'm thanking God for the fountain and I'm thanking God for the furnace because I'm thanking God that every test I go through, it's just to help me to become more of what God wants me to be. The fire, the furnace, the test is just to help me to keep growing as a mature disciple of Jesus Christ. So day after day, week after week, month after month, year after a year? Aren't you glad that while you're not perfect, you're more now than what you used to be? Aren't you glad that God let you see 2023? Because God says, wherever you came up short in 22, wherever you came up short in 22, in 23, you're gonna move farther than where you were in 22. And what you did go through in 22, that fire, that test, that furnace was just to prepare you to be more in 23 of what I always wanted you to be and if you live through 23 you'll be more in December than what you're are right now in January Amen. praise be to our God and praise be to our Christ the people represent the church no matter where we are So stay connected and reach others as we grow in Christ.